Hi everyone, in this episode, I'll share with you my personal experience of turning my dissertation into my first book or monograph. And I hope that by sharing my experience, it will help you familiarize yourself with this process. Scholars Unbound is a bi-monthly podcast or video series that showcases the voices of scholars who know no boundaries when it comes to the pursuit of knowledge. You will hear insights from their experiences as international scholars and how these influence their research, hoping to inspire future scholars to be fearless, global, and unbound. I'm your host, Dalia Simangan. Writing a dissertation is not an easy feat. If you have completed a dissertation, of course, you know already that it has taken you years researching a very specific topic and countless hours putting into words your first major contribution to knowledge. But most of us know that, as in most of the time, only a handful will really and completely read your dissertation, your supervisors and examiners, for sure, hopefully, and probably some of your close family members and friends. Highly unlikely, but, you know, maybe. So after your dissertation is bound and shelved into some collection in your university or in a national library, like here in Japan, but later on forgotten over time, unfortunately, is that really it? Are you okay with that? What can you do to share your dissertation more widely? I know that some universities or programs require journal publications before granting you a degree. And in this case, some of your thesis chapters may have been published elsewhere and already getting a wider readership. But in case this is not a requirement for your degree, like in my case, I think it's really worth embarking on the journey of publishing your dissertation into a book and more so when you plan to be an academic in the long run. Other than it will give you an extra advantage if you're in the job market, it will also enhance many of the skills you thought you already mastered while doing your PhD, such as writing proposals, time management, and professional communication, among many others. And more importantly, your work will be more accessible. Of course, relatively speaking, because some monographs these days are quite expensive, but still, publishing a book out of your dissertation will make your contribution to knowledge and yourself more in conversation at least with your academic community. Plus, I know this sounds quite vain, but if you haven't published a book before, like myself back then, holding your first ever authored book is really a rewarding experience. Okay, first of all, how long did it take me from writing a book proposal to actually holding a hard copy of my book? It took me one year and six months, from thinking of how to draft a proposal, to writing the book proposal, and then having it reviewed by my peers, then revising my dissertation. Yes, you need to revise your dissertation quite extensively because a dissertation is different from a monograph, and I'll talk about that in the next episode. And then doing a couple of rounds of proofreading, the communication between the publisher and the editor, and finally receiving the hard copies of my book. I would say that this is quite fast because I was writing my book when I was a postdoctoral fellow, and I was really fortunate that I was given the freedom and time to focus on publishing. So I would say that in addition to writing some research papers, the book project was my main project at that time. And also, of course, I was not writing from scratch, so it was way faster than the usual book writing process because I have already done my research during my PhD and I already have the first draft to work with. So where did I publish my book? 
My book publisher was Routledge for a series called Routledge Studies in Intervention and State Building, and my book about peace building was really fit for this series. And there's Locke involved here. And I must say that Locke is really a big part of so many things that we do in academia. Anyway, Routledge is a commercial press, unlike the traditional university presses. And what's the difference? In academia, whether we like it or not, the preference for book publishing is to go with the university presses. Because first, they are the so-called traditional book presses and preferred by the universities who own or associated with these presses. Secondly, it's considered that the peer review process of university presses is more rigorous, meaning it's more difficult to publish in a university press than a trade press. So if you're in the job market, the selection committee will be more impressed with your book published in a university press than in a trade press. Of course, this is generally speaking, but that's not the case all the time. But I think also that's changing now. When you read a book, do you check whether it's a university press or a trade press? I don't. I read the book because it's relevant to what I'm researching or because I'm familiar with the quality of work of the authors. Personally, I choose quality and relevance over the name of a publisher whenever I buy or read the book. You will find excellent books by trade presses and not so excellent books by university presses as well. And here's where the combination of luck and timing comes in. Equal to, if not more than merit and rigor, Luck is a factor we need to really acknowledge here. If a publisher, for example, receives hundreds of book proposals but can only publish 10 in a year, does it mean that the next 10 are not good enough? Of course not, right? It only means that the publishing machine doesn't have space for all the work out there because of many reasons, timeliness of the topic, preference or specialty of the editor, or if something quite similar to your work has been published recently or not. This publication trend, I think, is also a consequence of our institutions trying to make us into this publishing machines rather than knowledge creators, which I have touched upon many times in this podcast, but most recently in my Snakes and Ladders bonus episode last year. And there are great trade presses out there. I read, I reference, and I assign books from trade presses because they are good, they are relevant, and they are very timely. I can also attest that my editor subjected my manuscript to a rigorous peer review. I had to address all the comments of the reviewers to reviewers for the editor's approval. I've heard of some presses that are not even doing the minimum for peer review, unfortunately, or doing some review just for formality. So that's already a red flag. If your publisher doesn't have a rigorous peer review process, I strongly suggest that you find a different outlet for your work. So how did I end up with Routledge? Remember the factor of luck? My examiner at the time, my thesis examiner, was a Routledge editor, and he invited me to submit a proposal for his series, considering some of the changes he wanted to see after reviewing my thesis. I think this gave me a shortcut to the publishing process, and up until now, I'm very thankful to him for seeing the potential in my dissertation. Of course, I thought of trying out university presses first, but stories of rejection and publication time were just too long for me, considering that I aim to have my book published by the time I finish my postdoc and be in the job market. 
it was important to me at that time to have a book contract, if not a published book, by the time I started applying for jobs. Of course, I considered the reputation of the publisher too, and the reputation of the editor, so Routledge was the perfect publisher for me. So what was the process like? Honestly, the process for me was quite uneventful. And I know that the main reason was that I had the luxury of time to really focus on writing my book during my postdoctoral fellowship. The first thing I did after receiving my book contract was to read my entire dissertation again, surreal as it may be, and update any information that needed updating. This is especially important because there might be recent events in my case studies that I was not able to include since I submitted my dissertation, and these events might be crucial in my analysis. And then, after submitting my book manuscript and receiving the reviewer's comments, I read carefully every comment, categorized them according to themes, whether it was about theoretical framework or a certain case study or minor comments related to references, and then wrote down how I was going to address each comment, regardless of whether it was a major or minor comment. And in writing this, I tried to be as specific as possible in explaining how I plan to address the comment because my initial plan would be helpful later anyway when I write my response letter. And then I tackled one comment at a time. Some comments took longer to address, for example, it required more reading, while others just took an hour. It really depends, but that's how I approach the revision, and any other revision for that matter. If you're interested in a more detailed process of revising any manuscript, I talk about it in episode 26, Revising a Journal Article. I invite you to listen to these episodes if you haven't, and if you find this podcast helpful, it would be really helpful to me as well, and this project, if you will share this with others whom you think will benefit from our conversations and my reflections here, or leave a comment on iTunes or engage with the podcast by liking and commenting on other podcast platforms, or just sharing it on social media. It will really mean a lot to me. Thank you. Now, just one final thing that I want to share with you about my book writing process. I remember really visualizing my book sections. I had poses upon poses of subsections of my book on the wall of my office with each chapter color-coded, and every time I finished a subsection, I added a post-it. It was my little reward, and it was really satisfying for me to see how many posts I accumulated as I went on with the writing process. And every time I finished a chapter, I treated myself to a night out. Anyway, the wall of poses, of course, surprised and invited curiosity from some of my office mates at that time, but it worked for me. And I continue doing this kind of visualization for any project I have. I'm sure many others do the same visualization, so don't worry. If you have some practices that you think are quirky, but they work for you when you're writing, just do it for your project and for yourself. Okay, now the question of how different my dissertation from my book. I would say that my book changed significantly from my original dissertation. In the next episode, I will explain in more detail how different my dissertation was from my book, and I will also share with you a couple of tips that you might find useful if you're planning to write a book or recently started this challenging but definitely rewarding experience. So don't forget to tune in to the next episode. Until then, stay fearless. 
global and unbound. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please consider leaving a comment or rating at iTunes or any of your preferred podcast hosting platforms. For details about upcoming episodes and how to support the Scholars Unbound project, visit daliasimangan.com slash scholarsunbound with the link in our show notes.